A bombshell in the press today, a shadowy anonymous source within a sinister intelligence agency trying to overthrow the results of a legal election has stepped out of the shadows into even deeper shadows to reveal that President Donald Trump has not returned a library book he took out over seven weeks ago. At the New York Times, a former newspaper, printers needed two workers to carry each of the enormous letters that would spell out the headline declaring the story, while at the same time one of the workers carried in his pocket the entire text of the correction that would retract the story later in the day. Times editor-in-chief Blithering Prevarication III, speaking to his staff at a cell meeting of the Union of Soviet Socialist Journalists, said, quote, We built our newsroom to cover one intelligence-driven hoax that ended up leaving us humiliated and discredited, so I'm happy to announce that everything is already in place for us to cover this one, unquote. At CNN, anchorwoman Shapely Nudnik told her audience as he rushed across the airport to catch his connection to Topeka, quote, Up until now, I have refused to get on the impeachment train, but a continual drumbeat of phony Trump scandals from anonymous sources meant to distract the public from the corruption of the Obama intelligence community has finally made me utterly hysterical. The dam is breaking, the walls are closing in, and this is the beginning of the end that marks a tipping point of walls and dams, and oh my God, someone bring me my hat <laughs> of van. I need to lie down, unquote. At NBC, Chuck Todd, who doesn't need a made-up funny name because he's already a parody of himself, told the mirror in his dressing room, quote, this is very serious. You can tell because I have my serious face on. If this gets any more serious, I may even wear glasses to look more serious than my serious face already looks, unquote. Stay tuned for more baseless accusations as they come in. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, dipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Well, I almost made it through that one without laughing. Uh, In a world of fake news, it's important sometimes to remember the real news, the story that's not being covered. And the story is this. The heads of the intelligence community under Barack Obama used Russian disinformation bought and paid for by the Democrat Party and the Hillary Clinton campaign to launch a spying operation on an opposition candidate, namely Donald Trump. They then engineered and launched a a two-and-a-half-year investigation into a Russia collusion hoax in order to distract from their incredible act of un-American subversion. Today, as the Department of Justice Inspector General prepares his report on these doings, and as DOJ Prosecutor John Durham leads a separate investigation, a completely meaningless story about Trump and the Ukrainian president has replaced the collusion hoax as the tool of distraction and is being covered by the press with the same breathless and reckless hysteria as the Russian hoax, and for the same reasons. It's as if the Russian hoax had never been exposed, but it has. Now, why do I say the Ukraine story is meaningless? I say it because no one cares. Zero percent of the population of the United States cares if our loudmouth president said stupid stuff to the president of Ukraine. To put that in numerical terms, no people care. None. Now, don't get me wrong. There are people who care very deeply about hobbling Trump and getting him out of office, and they care about what they hope to get out of the Ukraine story. And there are people who care very deeply about defending Trump from the deep state, and they care about disproving the story. But no one cares about the substance. It makes absolutely no difference to anyone if Trump was nudging the Ukrainian president to investigate Hunter Biden's 
obviously nepotistic sinecure with their stupid gas company and Joe Biden's likewise obviously compromised integrity because of it. At the very worst, and I don't believe this at all, by the way, but at the very worst, Trump was organizing a jerry-rigged, tape-and-twine version of what Obama did to him using the full power of the government. It's the exact story the press not only won't cover, but is covering up that, that what Obama did to Trump. And now Trump, if the worst of this is true, was sort of kind of maybe a little trying to do that to Joe Biden, which is absurd because he would have much rather run against Joe Biden than Elizabeth Warren. Now, you may say, well, this could still be serious if it leads to impeachment. And we know that would be serious because people keep saying that it's serious. Reporters, politicians, commentators, just listen to them. They all keep saying impeachment is a serious business. But in fact, nothing is serious if it's not done seriously. An impeachment show about something no one cares about that will not result in the president leaving office is only serious in the sense that it disgraces a legislature that no longer actually legislates, but spends all its time in politically motivated investigations and show trials when it's not raising the debt ceiling to pay for the politically motivated investigations and show trials. You want to know the news? Follow the Obama story, Obamagate. It's a big scandal and a dangerous scandal. And if anyone actually covers it and investigates it, it may begin to root out a deep state that is willing to do and say anything to cover up the fact that it has gotten way, way out of control. We're going to move on and talk more about this and why this ridiculous uh, impeachment thing is going forward and the press. I, I, I'm just embarrassed. I'm embarrassed for the media. I really am. I mean, after two and a half years of absolutely shaming themselves with this Russian thing, it's like, well, forget about that. That didn't happen because now we're moving on to obstruction of justice. Oh, that's so good. Okay, now we're moving on to the Ukraine. I'm embarrassed for them. Liquid four. I don't drink enough water. The reason I know I don't drink enough water is every now and again, I suddenly get very, very tired and I think I must need to sleep, but I never need to sleep. So I figured out it's just the water. All I have to do is hydrate myself and I wake right up again. Absolutely true. And liquid IV is the fastest, most efficient way to stay hydrated. If you're trying to drink more water, liquid IV hydrates you two to three times faster and more efficiently than water alone with an added bonus of vitamin C, B3, B5, B6, and B12. Liquid IV is the fastest growing wellness brand. You can find them everywhere, even Costco. You can find their hydration multipliers sold at all Costco's nationwide, and they can provide the same hydration as drinking two to three bottles of water, which is also good because you don't get all bloated and have to run to the bathroom every two seconds. Also tastes really good. It really is good, and I know you'll like it. Right now, my listeners get 25% at liquidiv.com. When you use my code CLAVEN at checkout, that's 25% off anything you order on Liquid IV's website. Go to liquidiv.com and enter my promo code CLAVEN to get your savings and start getting better hydration. That's liquidiv.com, promo code CLAVEN. Don't wait. Start properly hydrating today so you're awake and ready to spell Claven because it's not easy. It's not easy to spell Claven because any at any moment, just if you get tired, if you not, haven't got enough water, if you're not hydrated, you could slip an E in there and you won't know. There's KLA. <laughs> There's no E's in Claven. I am so uninterested in going down this Ukraine story hole, I, you know, because I just think it's absolute crap. I think it is just crap. I'm not, you know, it may be a, it, well, it is a deep state setup. It's a deep state setup. I mean, the whistleblower wasn't on the phone call. They, uh, a month or so, somewhere between May and August, when the whistleblower reported in August, 
they changed the rules for whistleblowing in the intelligence community. It used to be you had to have firsthand knowledge, which is the only way whistleblowing makes sense, right? I saw something happen and it bothered me and I'm disturbed and I have to come and be protected as a witness. Not I heard about something that happened because anybody can do that. There'd be no end of whistleblowers because they're all protected. We want them protected, but they have to have substantial knowledge. This is garbage. The guy wasn't on this Ukraine phone call. Nobody cares about the Ukraine phone calls, I tell you. But, but to put it in context, when you put it in context, you have to understand that the target of all this, and you know, someone said to me the other day, well, I've got Trump fatigue. And I said, no, you don't. You have press fatigue. If the press had done this to Obama, you'd have had Obama fatigue. It's not Trump who's doing this. I know Trump is a big mouth, but he's not that bad. He's not in, insane or anything like this. It's the press. It's the press making a scandal of every single thing he does. He puts out a, a photograph, a satellite photograph. And, oh, my, he's revealed our satellites. It's all, t-, you know, it's, it's all nonsense. Every joke he makes is they take it make believe seriously. Everything he says is a scandal. Every damn thing he does, anything that they can get their hands on, And so you feel fatigued, you feel like it's hysteria, but that's the point. The point, the point of impeachment is not to impeach Trump. Nobody's going to impeach Trump. They need two-thirds of the, they they may impeach him, but they won't convict him, right? They need two-thirds of the Senate to convict, so he's not going anywhere. It's just a waste of your time, a waste of your money, a waste of your government. And by the way, while you're thinking of it, try to list something that the Democrat government has, the Democrat House has accomplished that has moved to fruition as law. You can't come up with anything. They're not doing anything but this. This is what they're doing. The target is you. The target is to teach you a lesson. Do not vote for who we do not want you to vote for. You know, they even have a word now. They say when when the Trump spokesmen go out and they say, you know, this is actually about Joe Biden. They say, oh, he's Hillarying us. He's Hillarying us. It's a Hillary. It's a Hillary move. In other words, the idea was that by talking about Hillary's corruption during the 2016 election, we somehow got the wrong person elected. We got the wrong person elected. In other words, their corruption doesn't matter because they're them, but anything Trump does is corrupt. So before I even waste my time talking about the Ukraine, because you got to talk about it somewhat because it's filling the news, God bless the Wall Street Journal, by the way, who didn't even put it on the front page today. Their news news section is tens left, even though they're op-ed section, their opinion section tends to the right, very strongly to the right. Their news section trends left and they hate Donald Trump and they're always taking little shots at him, but they didn't even put the Ukraine story on the front page. Why? Because it's a bogus story. It's a nonsense. It is meant to punish you for voting the wrong way or for thinking the wrong about the wrong thing. Now, first, the context here is this. Here is coverage of Obama, a little montage of coverage of Obama. Now, how did I find this? I typed in to Google the media loves Obama montage. And all that came up was disproving that the media loved Obama. That's all that came up on the front page. It was like, did the media really love Obama? No, no, no. Here it is. Here's a liberal outlet saying that we didn't really. So I went over to DuckDuckGo, which doesn't use Google's uh, algorithms to slant the news. And I said, media loves Obama montage. And instantly, this from our old friends at MRC's Newsbusters came up. This is a five-minute montage. Obviously, I'm not going to play it, but I'll play a minute of it. This is just a little clip of the way they felt about Obama. The feeling most people get when they hear a Barack Obama speech, my, I felt this thrill going up my leg. I mean, well, I don't have that too often. Steady. No, seriously. It's a dramatic event. He speaks about America in a way that has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with the feeling we have about our country, and, I, and, and that is an objective assessment. On the bus ride along the snowy road to Lebanon, New Hampshire, I showed him this week's Newsweek hot off the presses. 
How does this feel of all the honors that have come your way, all the publicity? Who's it make you think of? Is there a, is there a loved one? I, I like to say that in some ways, Barack Obama is the first president since George Washington to be taking a step down into the Oval Office. I mean, from a visionary leader of a giant movement, now he's got an executive position that he has to perform in. Really a lot of people, I mean, people from all over the world, frankly, say to me, here comes a president with a huge mandate, a huge reservoir of goodwill, huge promises to change, and with all of that, his popularity is down. People don't uh, appreciate some of the amazing legislative agenda that he's accomplished. <laughs> that's, that's the way they covered all of them, Obama. Not the Fast and Furious scandal, not the IRS scandal, not the scandal now that they're not covering of Obama's obvious, the obvious malfeasance among his uh, intelligence operations, which, according to Andy McCarthy, Obama had to know about. He had to know they were doing this. He had to know this was a setup. Uh, this is a, this is a tremendous scandal, a tremendous threat to our polity, a tre tremendous threat to our freedom. Nothing Trump said to to uh, the Ukrainian president is a threat to your freedom. Nothing is going to take anything out of your pocket. Nothing is going to make it harder for you to speak politically like the IRS scandal did. But this is the way. Here's another montage, same guys, newsbusters, of the talk of impeachment. And if you're not watching, if you're just listening, the dates begin November. 2016. That's before Trump takes office. That's right after his election. This goes from November 2016 to basically yesterday. Okay. Here is again a montage of the press and the way they cover him. If he takes the risk of going to trial and he's convicted, that could be seen as an impeachable offense. If Trump were caught on a video camera snorting cocaine in the White House, maybe with one of his children, there was at least a chance he'd be impeached. If he's not a legitimately elected president in your mind, there are tools that Congress has. I don't see how that wouldn't be an impeachable offense. That tweet fits the Republican definition of an impeachable offense more fully than what Bill Clinton was actually impeached for. Impeachment is very difficult. Grounds for impeachment. It's an impeachable offense. Perhaps impeachable offense. Is impeachment the appropriate remedy? Something for the Congress like impeachment. All of that may be impeachable. That's an impeachable offense. Is that an impeachable offense? Is that an impeachable offense to you? He's much more vulnerable to impeachment. A potential ingredient of impeachment. Where do you see an impeachable offense. It is grounds for impeachment. Potentially criminal or even impeachable. Grounds for impeachment, or does that not go far enough in your view? Grounds for impeachment. This tweet alone may be an impeachable offense. Let's talk about impeachment. Impeachment is on the table. Which impeachable offense is an impeachable offense? Do you and see an impeachable set of offenses? It's an impeachable offense. If that's not impeachable, I don't know what is. The president shall be removed from office on impeachment. Is it impeachable? 100% is impeachable. Very substantial evidence that the president is guilty of high crimes and misdemeanors. Grounds for impeachment. Tipping point. Talk of impeachment reaches a fever pitch on Capitol Hill. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi under growing pressure from her own party. Here we go again. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, you know, since they're going to get rid of the president, we may need to get a new one. So let's use ZipRecruiter this time because <laughs> they didn't like the outcome that time. ZipRecruiter, you know, at the, here's an interesting story. The Cafe Altura's COO, Dylan Miskowitz, needed to hire a director of coffee for his organic coffee company, but he was having trouble finding qualified applicants, so he switched to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them 
for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter and said he was impressed by how quickly he had great candidates apply. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. And that's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for business of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. all one word, D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E. ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. ZipRecruiter is the smarter way to hire. So, so what I'm telling you is an atmosphere is created by all this, and you almost can't help it. It's what the British call cultural cringe. I'll get back to that in a minute, but cultural cringe is when you feel like somehow you're in the minority, somehow you're the bad guy, you know? And this is something I've been telling, ever since I started speaking publicly as a conservative, one thing I keep telling conservatives is you're the good guy. If you're afraid, it's over. If you're intimidated, You've lost. If the bad guys write the rules, the bad guys win, right? You're the good guy. You're standing up for something that is good and noble in human history, namely the Constitution and freedom. And if you're not standing up for that, if you're standing up for something bad, change your mind. If you're standing up for racism or cruelty or bigotry, change your mind. That is not what conservatism, not what American conservatism is about. It is about defending the founding and our founding ideals. And if you're standing up for that, you're the good guy and you should never back down and never be afraid and never be intimidated because this is what this is made to do. It is meant to create a cultural cringe like you did the wrong thing. The idea here from the very beginning is that Donald Trump is an illegitimate president. And I know, you know, there was this old crazy lady on the bus. Do we have the, the Hillary cut? Have we got that? Yeah, we do. Cut number eight. The old crazy lady on the bus explaining why he's an illegitimate president. I believe he knows he's an illegitimate president. He knows. He knows that there were a bunch of different reasons why the election turned out the way it did. And I take responsibility for those parts of it that I should. But, Jane, it was like applying for a job and getting 66 million letters of uh, recommendation and losing to a corrupt human tornado. And so I know that he knows that this wasn't on the level. I don't know that we'll ever know everything that happened, but clearly we know a lot and are learning more every day, and history will probably sort it all out. So, of course, he's obsessed with me, and I believe that it's a guilty conscience in so much as he has a conscience. So I'd say she was like a crazy lady on a bus, you just move your seat, but she's been saying... She can't, she just can't get her head around the fact that she lost the election. She lost the election. I mean... (laughs) It's like they keep complaining about the Electoral College, but it's like saying, you know, it's it's like saying the the game's rules were unfair from the beginning, even though I was playing under those rules. I mean, those are the rules of the game. They have been the rules of the game since the country was founded. The Electoral College has been here since the country began. The, The fact that she lost in the Electoral College, that's losing the election, but not to her. And this is the way they talk about it. So so he's an illegitimate president, but it's not illegitimate for the intelligence community, spies, spies were not supposed to be active in the United States at all. They're only supposed to be active overseas. It's not illegitimate for them to take him down. I want to play a piece from uh, Rachel Maddow and Chuck Schumer. This is in 2017, chuckling over the fact that 
our spies are coming after our president. But he's he's taking these shots, this antagonism, yep. this taunting to the intelligence tell community. You, you take on the intelligence community, they have six ways from Sunday at getting back at you. So even for a practical, supposedly hard-nosed businessman, he's being really dumb to do this. What do you think the intelligence community would do if they were motivated I don't know, to? but I, from what I am told, they are very upset with how he has treated them and talked about them. And we need the intelligence community. We don't know what's going Look at the Russian hacking. Without the intelligence community, we wouldn't have uh, discovered it. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That's the guy, that's the, that is the minority leader in the Senate talking about, hey, do not mess. Do not, whoa, dude, do not mess with the intelligence community because after all, the president is only a duly elected public official. The intelligence committee, the intelligence community are just a bunch of shadowy guys. We don't even know who they are who can look into your mail and read all your mail and listen to your phone calls. And so don't mess with them. I mean, it's unbelievable, especially if you grew up, you know, when I grew up and the left was screaming and yelling about FBI investigating Martin Luther King and FBI, the terrible J. Edgar Hoover, what a horrible guy he was. And now we're not supposed to worry about this. You know, the FBI, when when Donald Trump was on this phone call with Ukraine, and again, I'm just not going to go down this hole if I can help it. But when when Trump was on, he was asking them to investigate the the group that looked at the DNC's computer and decided that it had been hacked by the Russians. The FBI never saw those computers. James Comey was like, oh no, you know, it's fine. You do it, Democrats, because we trust the Democrats. So if you do it, if you tell us it's the Russians, it's the Russians. Meanwhile, this whole thing, you know, let's just, I want to just have the answer from this, from Stephen Miller, always very eloquent and and, uh, aggressive defender of his president. Uh, He was on with Chris Wallace, and he basically described what he thought this Ukrainian thing was. This is cut 13. People who haven't been in the federal government, who haven't worked in the White House, may not appreciate this. But the situation is you have a group of unelected bureaucrats who think that they need to take down this president. I'll attend interagency meetings, Chris, where I know for a certain fact, if I don't invite the right people, the meeting will leak. If I don't say the right thing, they'll go to the Hill. If we propose a policy idea that they don't approve of, they'll work with Democrat appropriators to try to block it. They leak this president's phone calls. They publish hit pieces. They publish fake stories. They've been doing this continuously for nearly three years, and their motives and their agenda is clear. This is about, do you want a democracy in this country, or do you want a deep state? Yeah, the motive is clear, and the Dem- they didn't do it to Obama. And Obama made incredible mistakes overseas, and Obama let the Middle East catch fire and nearly burn to the ground. Obama left Israel floating out there. He made dirty deals with the Iranians, but the intelligence community didn't do this to him. Why? Because as long as the government is growing bigger, as long as they're not attacking the administrative state, as long as they're not attacking the power of unelected officials, these guys are fine with it. That's the point. The point is for them to run the country, not you. So you are the target at all times. Hey, Zovio Ashford University is a way for for you to move up in your field by getting an MBA. Because if you don't have an MBA, it's really easy to get stuck in your profession, to not have the credentials you need, to go into an interview and just not have the impressive resume. But earning an MBA is easier with Ashford University. For over a century, Forbes has been one of the top names in business. And by partnering partnering with Ashford University. They've built an incredible online MBA degree program that helps prepare students to become leaders in business. The Forbes School of Business and Technology is led by a faculty of practicing business professionals who bring their years of experience 
to the classroom. With Ashford University courses, you'll learn by doing. Courses are led by industry experts, and you can use interactive business simulations and innovative strategies such as gamification to enhance your learning experience. Get on the road to earning your MBA the Forbes way with Ashford University. Go to ashford.edu slash Andrew. That's ashford.edu slash Andrew to start today. Ashford.edu slash Andrew. Now, I've said before, now everybody's saying, because of course you hear everything here first, uh, I said before that uh, this was the end of Joe Biden's campaign, the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden thing is just going to make him look corrupt. Already Biden is pulling down some of his ads. He is not looking good. Uh, Elizabeth Warren really does seem to be on a track to being the candidate, as I told you she would be weeks and weeks ago. But th- that is not the blowback. See, this is not why I call this a wily uh, coyote impeachment, an impeachment that's going to blow up in the Democrats' faces. It's not about that. It's actually about the Ukraine. Michael Mukasey, the former attorney general, he was writing about this in the Wall Street Journal. Today, Cheryl Atkinson has been writing about it. And of course, uh, Andy McCarthy, in his book, Ball of Collusion, uh, writes about it, that Democrat operatives worked with the Ukraine to meddle with this election in favor of Hillary Clinton. And we keep hearing about the Russians meddling in favor of Donald Trump. But in Ukraine, they were meddling in favor of Hillary Clinton. Ukraine had been invaded by Russia. They needed aid. They wanted to get in good with the Obama administration. And they were helping them out. Democrat uh, operatives were going over there and helping them out by going after Paul Manafort. Here's what he writes. Uh, Michael Mukasey writes, publicly available reports, including by Andrew McCarthy in his book, Ball of Collusion, suggest that during the 2016 campaign, the Federal Bureau of Investigation tried to get evidence from Ukrainian government officials against Mr. Trump's campaign manager, Paul Manafort, to pressure him into cooperating against Mr. Trump. When you grope through the miasma of Slavic names and follow the daisy chain of related people and entities, it appears that Ukrainian officials who backed the Clinton campaign provided information that generated the investigation of Mr. Manafort, acts that one Ukrainian court has said violated Ukrainian law and led to interference in the electoral process of the United States in 2016 and harmed the interests of Ukraine as a state. Politico reported on this in uh, 2017. Uh, They wrote a a piece saying uh, that Ukrainian government officials tried to help Hillary Clinton and undermine Trump by publicly questioning his fitness for office. They also disseminated documents implicated a top Trump aide, Manafort, and corruption and suggested they were investigating the matter only to back away. And then they backed away from it after the uh, election. And so Crazy Rudy Giuliani goes on TV and essentially what Crazy Rudy is saying is that he was looking into this and that's how he stumbled on Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden was a product of his investigation into meddling with the Ukraine. And this is uh, uh, Rudy on the prosecutor. When Hunter Biden's lawyer said, did I ever did ask the Chinese government? No, it's not my. If I did that, you could truly say I was investigating Joe Biden. I'm not investigating Joe Biden. I fell upon Joe Biden in investigating how the Ukrainians were conspiring with the Hillary Clinton campaign to turn over dirty information, including something for which a Ukrainian has already been convicted. So I have a very solid basis for doing it. I also support everything I say with affidavits. I have an affidavit here that's been online for six months that nobody bothered to read from the gentleman who was fired, Victor Shokin, the so-called corrupt prosecutor. The Biden people say that he wasn't investigating Hunter Biden at the time. He says under oath that he was. <laughs> so that's re- so. meanwhile, Joe Biden's campaign went to the top news channels, right, and asked them to stop booking Rudy Giuliani. This is Trump's personal lawyer. Stop booking Rudy Giuliani. We're writing today, this is from the Biden campaign, uh, and it went to 
um, all the networks. He says, we're writing today with grave concern that you continue to book Rudy Giuliani on your air to spread false debunked conspiracy theories on behalf of Donald Trump. While you often fact check his statements in real time during your discussions, that is, you sta- the, the reporters stand up for Biden and block uh, any, any suggestion that Biden did anything wrong. That is no longer enough, they say. By giving him your airtime, you're allowing him to introduce increasingly unhinged, unfounded, and desperate lies into the national conversation. We write to demand... This is Joe Biden's campaign is demanding of the press, our sacred free press that's always thudding its chest about how free they are. We're writing to demand that in service to the facts, you no longer book Rudy Giuliani, a surrogate for Donald Trump, who has demonstrated that he will knowingly and willingly lie in order to advance his own narrative. They say Giuliani is not a public official and holds no public office that would entitle him to opine on the nation's airwaves. Only You can only uh, opine on the nation's airwaves if you're a, a public official. This cultural cringe I'm talking about, it's all about the fear. It's all about the idea that you are not, that, that you are secondary. You know, the, the cultural cringe in Britain, it, re, it was a way of referring to uh, people who had formerly been colonies of Great Britain who never quite felt as good as the British, right? I mean, I, cultural cringe is a real thing. Whenever you see somebody giving a pride parade, whether it's black pride or gay pride, that's cultural cringe. People who don't feel uh, secondary uh, don't have to announce their pride, right? Because you feel like, oh, I'm, I'm just the guy. I'm the guy. I'm the American. Uh, if you start talking about your pride, how proud you are of being who you are, you're probably not that proud of it. Once you do that to somebody, they always feel like they're fighting on the defensive, that you write the rules. The mainstream people write the rules, and they're just playing by those rules, which is losing the game. In the culture... In the culture, they have made us feel this way by owning the universities, by owning Hollywood, by owning the news media, and making you feel that there's something wrong with you. But you are in the right. That's what cancel culture is all about. Cancel culture is not because you violated the opinions of most of Americans. It's because you said the opinions of most of Americans, but not of the elites who run the press and Hollywood and the universities. That's what it's about. It's about making you afraid to speak. It's about making you afraid of losing your sponsors, about making you afraid of losing your job. If you say what they don't want you to say, and this impeachment proceeding is exactly the same thing. It is essentially presidential cancel culture. That is what it is. Donald Trump is not saying what the elite wants him to say. He's not saying what the TV networks want him to say. He's not saying what Hollywood wants him to say. He is saying other things, and they want to cancel him just like they want to cancel you. I'll just end this with Robert De Niro, who goes on Brian Stelter's show, and he's asking him about the president of the United States. Hey, Good actor, De Niro. Who cares what he thinks about the president of the United States? But, and and here's here's the thing. We had to we had to sense we had to cut out uh, bleep De Niro's language because this isn't a porno show or CNN. Uh, on CNN, they just let him go ahead and four letter word f bomb uh, the president of the United States. I wonder, as an actor, do you ever look at the president and think he's performing, like he's playing or an act or something? In some ways, I I think he is, but I think that it's, uh, as I think some of these other pundits uh, on Fox are too, um, because I can't believe that they they would actually buy into this craziness. Hmm. This guy is should not be president. Period. And when you say that, folks on Fox come after you. I remember the Tonys when he got up there and cursed. A lot of criticism of you. 
Okay, well, you know, this is cable, Sorry. so it's not an FCC violation, Sorry. but it is still a Sunday morning. Well, I we're, do wonder we're why you choose of, to go that let way. Let me say something. Why do you we choose are to go in a, that we way? We are at a moment in our life, in this country, where this guy is like a gangster. He's come along and he's said things, done things we say over and over again. This is terrible. We're in a terrible situation. We're in a terrible situation, and this guy just keeps going on and on and on without being stopped. He's got to be stopped because he has violated Hollywood protocol. That's who, that's who De Niro is. I mean, he's, he's in New York, he's in Tribeca, but he's a Hollywood guy, and he sure knows about gangsters because he's pretended to be one. So, you know, why are they talking to him? Because these are the people who are supposed to establish what's cool, what's acceptable, what can be said. And if you violate that, you're canceled. Donald Trump has violated that. They want to cancel him. I think it's going to blow up in their face because I think when it comes to true corruption, the Democrat Party makes Donald Trump look like an amateur. We got Michael Knowles coming up. I got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Come over to dailywire.com and subscribe. You're sitting there. You've got money in your pocket. We want that money in our pocket. The way to do that is to, for you to subscribe. Also, we'll give you stuff. We'll give you all kinds of stuff. We'll give you the Ben Shapiro show, the Knowles show, the Wall show, my show. And you can be in the mailbag and have your questions answered and your life's problem solved for a mere 10 bucks a month or a hundred bucks for the entire year. Come over to dailywire.com. Knowles, are you there? There you are. Is that the author of another kingdom that I'm seeing <laughs> through this digital tunnel here? I am in New York. The city's so nice they named it twice, but I could not resist channeling in and satelliting into the show today because we're about to start another kingdom. It, start, it starts this week. It starts, it's Friday for subscribers and then Monday for non-subscribers. It's actually happening. How long do you think before we get canceled? <laughs> There's no way we're going to get through the whole season. As soon as somebody figures out what the story's about. That's <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing in the, the big town? I'm uh, on the East Coast for a few speeches this week. So I was in Philly. Then I'm going down to D.C. tomorrow giving a speech. Nice. Believe it or not, in defense of George Washington at George Washington University. <laughs> we are through the looking glass now, my friend. Uh, and so I'm uh, going to be here for a few days and then I'm flying back to La La Land and, uh, on Wednesday or Thursday. This reminds me, do you remember when we started out, you would uh, teleport in from the next door. You were around the corner. <laughs> we, had, we couldn't get you. We couldn't put you at the desk for some reason. We had to Skype you in around the corner. <laughs> so, somehow the connection from New York is better than it was from the room next door. So that, that tells you something about our production quality. So, you know, I don't know what it is about you that reminds me of the Joker, but I just, I want, you know, I thought of you and I thought, you know, when I think of Knowles, I think of the Joker. What, can you explain to me, the, this movie is coming out. I'm going to see it probably. I can't see it on when it opens. It opens Friday, I think. Uh, but I, I can't see it until Saturday. Why is this causing a, a controversy before it even opens? When I asked you when our show, Another Kingdom, is going to be canceled, I was only half joking because <laughs> yeah. you're right. The movie hasn't come out yet, and people are already furious. They're outraged. They're angry, or at least they pretend to be. This movie apparently is very good. The few places it's been screened at film festivals, it's gotten standing ovations. That's and what I've Obviously, heard yeah. Joaquin Phoenix is an excellent actor, and the, the character of the Joker is a really terrific character as far as comic book characters go, especially. He's one of the most interesting. We've been fascinated by this character for 80 years now. Some people are going out and calling this movie dangerous, irresponsible. 
incel friendly is one of the terms being used. So remind and people who the incels are. The, the incels are the involuntarily celibate. Right. And that could describe a lot of people these days, <laughs> yeah. but it's specifically the ones who are angry and, and feel isolated from society okay. and the, the classic loner that you're afraid is going to commit some violence. And so even uh, last week, parents of victims of the 2012 Aurora movie theater shooting wrote a letter to the CEO of Warner Brothers asking for support of anti-gun causes and apparently upset because the movie shows violence. And the studio responded to them and said that the film is not an endorsement of real world violence of any kind. Gee, you think? I'm shocking. But <laughs> the this, Joker is a villain, right? That's the whole point of the Joker. The Joker is a villain. He's not the good guy. And movies aren't real life. They're movies. That's what a movie is. And what, what this is really an indictment of, before we see the movie, I can't wait to see the movie. It, what this is really an indictment of is the fact that our culture has become so, so shallow in three distinct ways. You know, the director of this movie, Todd Phillips, told The Wrap, uh, a trade paper, that he's, he's pretty surprised and he thinks outrage has become a commodity, mm. that it's, a, it's been a commodity for a while. And what he's so shocking is, or what he finds so shocking is how much the far left can sound like the far right when it suits their agenda. So in this guy's mind, the far right are the moral scold saying, don't show sex, don't show violence, think of the children. That hasn't been true for probably 50 years at <laughs> yeah, this point. Right. But, but now he's discovering that the left have become these moralizing scolds. Three ways that the cultures become very shallow. One, anger is the easiest emotion to convey. This is true in acting, this is actually true in the movies, but it's true in real life too. It's the easiest one. It spreads the fastest. There's actually a study that shows this. We know it to be anecdotally true, but from a university in China, they did a study of social media. They found that joy moves faster than sadness or disgust on social media, but anger and rage move fastest of all. Nothing of can yeah. hold a candle to it. It's the devil's and, cocaine. And a, anger that's is the, devil's the devil's cocaine. cocaine. Yeah. I, I know that. Who said <laughs> somebody? There's also a real parallelism here in the outrage as a commodity culture which is this movie is currently showing what the movie's about, which is that some people think there's no such thing as bad press. You know, a shallow society, mm. shallow people want notoriety at any price. I mean, this is why we don't, or we at least try not to mention the names of all these mass killers too much, is we don't want to give them attention. They just want attention, even if it's negative. You see this with movies, too. I mean, the movie's going to be a big hit. Everyone's talking about it for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Ironically... I, I obviously couldn't do a preview of a comic book movie without criticizing the genre as a whole. <laughs> Part of this shallowness, I think, is caused by the comic book movie genre, because virtually all of these comic book movies are terrible, and they're shallow, and there's no point to them, and they're very formulaic, with a few exceptions. Dark Knight was an exception, which is more or less the movie that we're about to go see next week. Logan was an mm -hmm. exception. These are movies that take the, the formulaic genre and use it to rise up to a level of art, of really conveying something. A, a shallow society does not understand art. You know, well, you know art that's, is supposed that's, to... That's what I was going to say, because having, having made a living writing fiction, I can tell you that it is incredibly difficult to promote fiction 
uh, on TV. They do not want to talk about things. You know, they don't, there's no one there qualified to discuss why a book is interesting unless, unless you can give it what they call a news hook, right? And so I would do, I would do incredible, like when I brought out Empire of Lies, I wrote that piece about the Dark Knight. You were talking about the Dark Knight. I wrote that piece uh, in the Wall Street Journal about how the Dark Knight was really George W. Bush, which was the biggest piece on the internet that, uh, that day and sold a lot of books. I mean, it, 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 right. the publishers were excited and all that because I could bring it, uh, I could bring the whole thing around to something that was happening that was realistic, that was real, that was news. And uh, the Passion of the Christ, by creating a controversy, you know, about this, he made Jesus fashionable, but only by getting himself hated and, and beaten up. Mel Gibson uh, getting himself hated and beaten up. If it's not news, there's nobody, there's no place in, in American news. This isn't true in Britain, but there's no place right. in American news where they say, now we're going to stop the news and talk about art because art matters to us and stories matter. And let's talk about that. You have to give it a news hook. And this is one way of doing it. And consider the news hook here. I mean, the news hook is, should we be talking about guns? Should we be talking about mental illness? Should we be talking yeah. about these villains? And uh, of course, anybody who enjoys art, who doesn't just enjoy talking about how terrible art is or trying to get it banned, yeah. knows that art provokes. It is supposed to raise these questions. It is supposed to make us see something that we didn't see before. I'm always reminded of Joseph Conrad in his description of art. He, he puts it in a preface to a book and he says, what the scientist deals in is facts and what the thinker deals in is ideas. But what the, what the artist is doing is something more. He's dealing with the senses. He's dealing with temperaments. Yeah. He's digging deep, deep into you. And he has a wonderful line. He says, the changing wisdom of successive generations discards ideas, questions, facts, demolishes theories. But the artist appeals to that part of our being which is not dependent on wisdom, to that in us which is a gift and not an acquisition, more permanently enduring our capacity for delight and wonder to the sense of mystery surrounding our lives. And I fear that we are demystifying our lives. We are ruining our capacity for delight and wonder so that we can get the cheap thrill of being pissed off all the time. Very <laughs> bad news for art and culture. It is. And, you know, it, it's a thing that one of the ways they do this is by talking about the effect of art on people by, you know, uh, video games are going to make you violent or, you know, we can't, if you watch too much violence, you're going to become violent. And, you know, I point out after 9-11 uh, that my movie, uh, Don't Say a Word, based on one of my books, came out and it opens, it's a violent film and it opens with a shot of the Twin Towers because that was just how, how the picture was cut. And I remember the audience gasped when they saw the Twin Towers and they started talking about banning that and banning that movie and also banning uh, an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie that was coming out that showed a fire in a building. And I wrote this piece, the only time I've ever published in the New York Times, and they edited me so badly that I regretted it. But I wrote a piece saying, you know, when, when there was a, a disaster movie, and like the towering inferno, and a building burned down, nobody sent money to help anybody because they realized it's a movie. You know, it's Steve McQueen and Paul Newman. It's not a, burning, a building burning down. But in 9-11, people showed up and were charitable and came to help and came to give their lives and uh, sacrifice a lot. It doesn't happen in a movie. Why? Because people know it's not real. It's, it's just absurd. It's a way of creating controversy. In all the questions are a way of creating controversy. What we really need is a way of talking about art in such a way that people care about it and, and want to see it uh, just because it's art. Yeah. Anyway, of course, I got to stop there. Speaking of art, let's remind people another kingdom starts on Friday if you're a subscriber and on Monday if you're not. Uh, and this is this is it. This is the final season. This is it. Go see it before it's canceled. A really great <laughs> season. So at least catch the first couple episodes. <laughs> All right. Travel safely. It's good to see you. All right. See you, Drew. All right. 
You know, let me uh, let me end with this. Since we're talking about art and we're talking about culture, you know, one of the things I'm always comparing uh, the present day to the Romantic period in England to what sometimes is called the Regency period, uh, right around the turn of the 19th century, around 1809, uh, right in there. Uh, and I, I make the comparison because there are a lot of things that are similar. Uh, there was a failed revolution. Uh, the French Revolution was a failure culturally. It was this attempt to create a perfect world, uh, the age of Aquarius, and it all went bad. It ended up in mass murder and world war. And we had the 60s, which was this revolution meant to issue in the Aqu- age of Aquarius. Everything was going to be great. And instead, it caused mass crime, mass poverty, uh, absolute uh, uh, threat to freedom, a return of socialistic, communistic ideas. It was genuinely a failure. And in both cases, the intellectuals in the French Revolution and in the 60s Revolution, the intellectuals simply did not want to accept the failure. The intellectuals didn't want to accept the failure of the Soviet Union. They didn't want to accept the failure of the French Revolution. And when people like Wordsworth uh, back in the day said this was a failure, they excoriated him for becoming uh, what was then a conservative. at the same time, there was the Industrial Revolution, like we had the Tech Revolution. It pe- put people out of work. It displaced families. It did all this stuff. It changed the world so entirely. And, you know, people who think about the Regency period, think about Jane Austen and the funny bonnets and everybody was a virgin because of Regency romances and all that. Not so many virgins in the Regency period. There was a period of intense uh, experimentation with uh, sex. It was an, uh, a period of intense um, people uh, being promiscuous and accepting that promiscuity, especially in the level of the upper classes, they would sleep around, they would have babies out of in, in wedlock that were somebody else's baby, uh, and just nobody would ever mention it. And that was the way people lived. Into that situation uh, came Lord Byron, who wrote a famous poem, one of the most famous poems ever written, called Child Harold's P- Pilgrimage. And it made him probably the second literary celebrity. The first literary celebrity was probably Goethe, uh, but he was, Byron just became a massive, overnightly famous guy from writing Child Harold's Pilgrimage. And what was it about? It was about the classic, now called the Byronic hero, this alienated, dark, brooding figure who has lived a life of sin and is now weary of sin and is carrying it on his shoulders and is just... uh, completely alienated from life and totally burned out. Part of this may have been because Byron uh, is said to have been gay, uh, as well as always sleeping with every woman who came near him. Uh, But he was living this life of sin and he was wearied out. And I think it caught this feeling that they had taken things too far and they were tired of this life they were living and they wanted something else. And at the same time that was happening, came the rise of what was then called and is now called the evangelicals, the Christian people who wanted to say, you know, we have gone astray. We've got to get back to Christian morals. And they have there. A lot of them are forgotten. Byron is remembered, but a lot of those people are forgotten. But among them was Wilbur, uh, William Wilberforce, who Uh, fought his lifelong battle that he finally won to abolish the slave trade in Britain on Christian grounds. And it was the Christians who ultimately transformed society into uh, into the Victorian era, which was, I think, one of the most productive, one of the most civilizing, one of the most progressive in the true sense societies that we've ever had. It was one of the pinnacles of human civilization, certainly one of the pinnacles of Western civilization. And it came about because of of a return to Christian ideals. And, you know, those Christian ideals, some of them were stupid. Some of them were silly, that kind of uptight. We know all know that uptight Christianity that you're not allowed to dance or whatever. Uh, the word boldlerize comes from a guy named Thomas Boldler who cut out all the dirty parts of Shakespeare and published the family Shakespeare. It was boldlerized Shakespeare. And that became very popular as well. All I'm saying is that things do not remain the same. 
I sense, of, as I have said for a long time, that things are changing now. I think the left is looking for religion. So far, all they've found is climate change hysteria. But I think that that, that is really the only path back to a sane, sensible world to remember that we are not uh, bags of flesh. We're not meat puppets. We're spirits. And our interchange is spiritual. And our bodies and everything we do has to be governed by our spiritual knowledge and our spiritual wisdom. And I've got to stop there. But I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show, and I will see you again tomorrow. Oh, hooray, hooray. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe, too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knowles Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Austin Stevens and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. And our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Saevitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. And our production assistant is Nick Sheehan. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. On the Matt Wall Show, we're not just discussing politics. We're talking culture, faith, family, all of the things that are really important to you. So come join the conversation.